Christ wants to give you a brand new identity. If you don't already have that new identity, I got good news for you. He's still giving it out. He's still offering it today and every day. Whatever you need today, I want you to know Jesus is the answer. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and turn to John's Gospel, chapter number 8. As we're winding down our series on new identity, next week, Pastor Roger will close out the series on new identity as we look at the transformation, the new identity of the 10 lepers in Scripture. You don't want to miss next week. We're so glad to have Pastor Roger back. He was at Cristiana Amistad, one of the large Hispanic churches in our area, preaching last week for Pastor Javier Chavez, a very good friend of ours, and his wife Rosie was back there translating last week. So we're just so thankful that God knows what we need and God knows who we need. And when we were led to plant in this East Hall community, our heart's desire is to touch this community. This community is so often neglected by the rest of the community. And one of the ways that we want to do that is Pastor Blake mentioned, we had our big block party. Then we had our Easter egg hunt. And I want you to know we met with uh, Miss Barbara and her husband Frank last week or week before last. And okay, I'm going to forget the date. Is it July the 29th? Is that what we said? The last Saturday, the last Saturday in the, in the week, in the month of July, we're going to do a backpack ministry. And I was able to get 72 free backpacks from the North American Mission Board. They're on their way. And we'll pack those with school supplies and we'll meet here. We'll share the gospel. People will funnel through and hear that. I think we're planning to feed them a little something that day as well. So that's just another way to love on our community. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. They really don't care. Most of them don't care that we're in here today. What they want to know is, how do you feel about me and my family? A struggling family that may have two, three, four, five kids. And if you hadn't been to the store lately, you know, I work for Nabisco, so I see the price. Some of the cookies that I stock are almost $7 a box. Whoever thought you'd live to pay $6.59 for ginger snaps? That's the reality of the world that we live in. So we want to make things a little bit easier for families to help them with their school supplies for their children and then give them the good news of the gospel. And then in the month of December, we're going to have a big Christmas ministry where kids can funnel through and pick out a couple of toys and a couple of non-toy gifts and something for parents. That's coming up in December. So at least four times a year, we want to do big community outreaches like that. And it's going to take all of us. You know, when I say July and December, one of the first things I said to Miss Barbara was, our students are gone then, and as you can see, college students are a big part of what's going on here, so we're going to need all of us to come together for that to happen. This morning, I want to talk to you about the new identity of a lady that did not want to come to Jesus. She did not want to come to Jesus. She did not want to be there in the temple. In fact, it's probably the last place that lady wanted to be. So maybe some of you have felt like that before. You didn't want to come to church. You didn't want to be in church, but your mama or your spouse drug you by the ear and said, bless God, you're going to church. If you feel that way, you've got something in common with the lady we're going to study today in John chapter 8. I heard about a guy that had just graduated from law school. Our daughter graduates from nursing school this week. We're so excited to get that behind us, and she'll start her new job at St. Mary's Neonatal, so we're super proud of her. But this guy just graduated from law school. He was just setting up his office, and the first person comes in the door. Well, he wanted to impress that person, so he picked up his phone like he was talking on the phone, but there was really nobody there. <clears throat> and he said, yep, look, Harry, about that big amalgamation deal, Let me just tell you, I don't think $3 million is going to be enough. 
I run down to the factory, have a conversation with them at the factory. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to call my friend who's a senator in Washington, D.C. And I think we can make that thing work. Let me call you back. Somebody's here to see me right now. And he puts the phone down and he says, hey, man, how can I help you today? And the guy said, uh, I'm just here to hook up your telephone. He was caught in the act of telling a lie. Have you ever been caught in the act? You ever been caught cheating in school or some of us have been caught speeding on the highway when we're not supposed to or looking at something on the internet you ought not to. I remember, <clears throat> I'm so thankful I went to school when I did and I'm not in school today. Things were a little bit easier in rural South Georgia. It's a little bit easier to skip school. We didn't have cameras every which way, you know, and I had a Spanish teacher that would say, I'll let y'all go to get something to eat, but you better bring me something back. But if you get caught, you're behind as your own. That's what Miss Horton would tell us. So we went out one day to Pizza Hut. We're skipping lunch. We're walking back, walking through the front door. I mean, how stupid can a guy be? Walking through the front door, toting pizzas, and there's Charles Harper, our assistant principal. He busted us red-handed red coming there through the door. You're gonna, we're going to look today at the life of a lady. She was caught red-handed in a very intimate act. She was caught in the act of adultery, and she did not want to meet Jesus. They drug her to Jesus against her will. In John's Gospel, chapter number 8, let's stand and give honor and reverence to the reading of the Word of God. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. Those of you that were here at 7 o'clock this morning helping set up, you're like Jesus. You were here early back at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the... There's a crowd of folks there. They drug her down front and said, Teacher, they said to Jesus, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to Stoner, What do you say? Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful for your word that is absolutely true for all people, for all places, and for all times. And God, I pray for maybe one today that doesn't want to be here or one who's just kind of stumbled upon us on the World Wide Web next week and they hear this message and really right now, they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. But for whatever reason, your spirit is drawing them to your truth. Just as you did this woman caught in the very act of adultery, I pray, God, you'll hand out new identities today. You'll hand out new identities in the future when people hear the truth of your word. What you did for this woman, we know you want to do for anybody that calls on the name of the Lord. So speak to our hearts today. Make us more like you. Lord, if we're like the people in the crowd who wanted to point out other people's sin, I pray you'll convict us today. And Lord, teach us to show grace to people the way that Jesus showed his grace to this woman. We'll thank you and praise you for what you're going to do, what you have already done. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> the Bible says this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Did you notice there's a missing ingredient here? And I don't want to be graphic in church, but for adultery to take place, it takes two people. Where's the dude? They only brought the woman to the temple. And their goal, really, they weren't really after that woman. They were after Jesus. They thought, finally, we've got a way to, they've been after Jesus. He threatened their religious establishment. He threatened their political establishment. And that woman wasn't the target. She was bait to catch a bigger fish, and his name was Jesus. If these people were concerned about justice, they'd have brought the man and the woman. Here's the predicament Jesus is in, and here's why they thought they had him. In the, if Jesus had said to stone her, 
That was a violation of the Roman law. The Romans did not allow Jews to stone people. If Jesus said, just let her go free, don't stone her, that was a violation of Old Testament law that says people deserve to be stoned for that sin. So this was a no-win situation for Jesus. Whatever Jesus said, the people had him. I can just picture the Pharisees. They're high-fiving each other. We've been after this joker. He's doing miracles. People are following him, and we can't do anything to trip this man Jesus up. Now we got a large crowd. We brought in this woman. She's crying. She's humiliated, and now we've got Jesus. No matter what he says, We've got him now. Well, I can imagine people in the crowd, because listen, there's just a horrible situation of the reality of the culture at that time. Stoning was like a public event. Like people showed up for this. They showed up to be a part of it, and they were probably looking around, looking for the biggest rocks they could find to kill this woman. Can you imagine such depravity? Let's be too, lest we be too judgmental of them. You know, we live in a culture that does that to unborn babies before they're born. I just thought I'd throw that out there in case we get too judgmental of them in their culture. John chapter 8 and verse 6 says, <clears throat> they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and started to write something in the dirt. Isn't that fascinating? They're looking for the rocks when Jesus stooped down, I bet that, uh-huh, he's looking for a big rock too. But he didn't grab, he starts writing in the dirt. Something I did not know until yesterday. I never knew this. All these years of being a Christian and preaching, I didn't know that in that culture, when people were caught in the act of adultery, they brought the man and the woman, so they're already in violation, they didn't bring the man, to the temple gate. And they would say the charges, and the priest there would stoop down, usually, usually in the dust on the floor in the temple that didn't have vacuum cleaners and all that stuff, or if not on the floor, somewhere, he would write in the dust the names of the accused, and he would write down their charges. So what Jesus was doing, they were a little bit familiar with that. <clears throat> Scripture doesn't tell us what he wrote. You ever wonder what he wrote right there? I can think of some things I would have written. Hey, this dude over there leaning against the column, I know you cheated on your taxes when you did them a few weeks ago. Hey, this guy, this guy in the back sitting on that stool, you, you didn't tell your wife the truth about where you were last weekend, did you? You know, hey, this young person over here, you cheated on your test. And I, don't, I, I would write some stuff like that to probably shut the people up. This woman, she's just a pawn. She's crying. She's humiliated. She's been caught in the most intimate thing you could be caught in. And here all these people are ready to stone her before this great teacher, this great rabbi. We don't know what he wrote. Somebody said maybe he wrote the names of the the guilty people there from the oldest to the youngest. Now, I thought, well, why would somebody say that? Because later on the Scripture says they left one by one, starting with the oldest. Maybe he wrote their sins down. Maybe he just wrote all their names. They're like, how does this joker know our name? We don't know what he wrote. Maybe he was writing Hey, I'm about to go to an old rugged cross. I'm about to lay down my life for the sins of this woman and for y'all. Because listen, she was caught in the act of adultery. They were caught in the act of not being Christ-like. They were caught in the act of not showing compassion and mercy. John 8 says, 8, 7 says, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, all right, we'll stone her. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. It's like, all right, we'll stone her, but I'm going to let the one go first who's never sinned. And he just goes back to writing. Kenneth, I hear in my sanctified imagination, thump, thump, and people just kind of slinking off. 
slinking off. I talked about my grand dog the last time I preached. And somebody said, I think it's great you're honest about the grand dog. And that dog loves me. He's my shadow. He gets on my nerves. He is needy. I've never known a dog more needy. But, you know, because of my asthma and my allergies, when we eat, we say, go to the couch. Duke, you got to be on the couch. Without fail, ask my wife and daughter. It's the same routine every time we have a meal. He goes to the couch, and then I hear those toenails hit the floor. And he's down on the floor, and he'll get all the way down and put his head down like I can't see what he's doing or something. And Duke starts to slink in and get just as close as he can until he gets his nose over the edge. I bet you those people were like my grand dog. I bet that'd make a big show. They tried to just slink off. Because what were you, when you walked off, what were you saying? You're saying, hey, I got sin too. I'm not without sin. I can't throw the first stone. If you're looking for a perfect church, if you're looking for a church with a perfect pastor, let me just tell you, you come to the wrong place. We're not a perfect church. We do not have a perfect pastor. If we said only those who've never sinned can stay in the building today, I'd be the first one out the door, okay? In fact, we all should because the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all, if you feel like your life is messed up, you're in good company because according to Romans 3.23, we're all messed up people. See, Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. Not only did he already know about the sins of that woman, but he knew about the sins of those Pharisees, those pseudo-religious people. So, in fact, he could have written their sins in the dust. We don't know what he wrote there, but I think I'd be calling them out in the dirt, and maybe he did. Verse 9 says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. There's no mistakes in Scripture. I don't know why they put in that detail. It's one of the things that makes some people say, he wrote down their names from the oldest to the youngest. Maybe he did. Again, how would he know that unless he was God? How would he know what their names were? How would he know what their ages were to get it in the right order? But by walking away from the crowd, every one of them was admitting, hey, we're sinful people too. None of us are perfect. Then verse 10, Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Like they were picking out the rocks. They were getting ready to kill you. This woman's thinking she's about to die. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? Did you notice he didn't call her ugly names? He didn't call her some names that we might call people who live immoral lifestyles in our country. He didn't say what a wicked, vile sinner she was. He just said, hey, where are your accusers? Only Jesus Christ, he's the only human being who could pronounce her not guilty. Because he was about to go to the cross not long after that. What lessons can we learn from the life of this one? By the way, he didn't approve of her sin. He didn't say, hey, it really wasn't a big deal what you did. No, when he went to the cross and he hung on that cross naked between two thieves, it says my sin is a big deal. I did that to him. My sin put him on that cross as well as hers. A few things we can learn from the life of this woman. Write these down, go back later on, check me out, see if I'm telling you the truth. Number one, Jesus sees every detail of our lives. He sees every detail of our lives. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we're accountable. Now, that woman might have thought, Oh, no, I got found out by these Pharisees. I hope my husband doesn't find out that I was with another man. Or, you know, I hope my parents aren't humiliated by my sin. No, no. The one to whom we're accountable is Jesus. Now, we are accountable to our spouses and our loved ones, but ultimately, King David, when King David sinned with Bathsheba in the Old Testament, he said, against you and you alone have I sinned. 
Well, it wasn't just against God, but primarily all sin is against our holy God. She might have been trying to hide from her sin, but Jesus already knew it, and he showed her grace and mercy just like he did me anyway. Do you think there are areas in your life that are hidden? Like, aren't you thankful that, you know, we didn't play a, a tape of every bad thought you had in the last week? I don't know what the judgment seat of Christ is going to be like, but the Bible says we're all believers, only believers are at the judgment seat. We're going to give an account of everything we've done, even careless words we've spoken, from the moment of our salvation until the end of our life. How's that going to happen? I don't know. Is God going to roll a videotape? Is God going to read a list of all the bad things I've ever done? I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's going to be horrific. It's going to be horrific, but it's only to, to give account of the rewards I'll get to lay at the feet of Jesus. Because nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. Once you're saved, nothing will separate you. I'm judged for my works, for my rewards. Not, I'm not being judged for my sin. Jesus took my whipping for me when he died on that old rugged cross. So there are no secrets with God. Numbers 23, 23. Be sure your sins will find you out. The one that we ought to fear disappointing the most, the one that we ought to be the most afraid of finding out about your secret sins, he already knows it anyway. It's not you're going to confess, it, confess your sin and God go, oh, my word, I can't believe you did that. He's never going to do that. He already knows, and he loves you anyway. In fact, he knew when he hung on an old rugged cross all the times that I would fail him. You know, so how does that make us feel if we think, man, what if all of our sins were told? We usually respond in one of three ways. We can deny it and harden our heart, but dead gum it ain't as bad as some people out there. We can harden our heart and deny it. We can focus on it. When people focus on it, we spiral down. Oh, God could never use a worm like me. Well, if I was really a Christian, I wouldn't have had that bad thought. I wouldn't have done that thing. Well, I just deserve to die right now. We can spiral down. Here's what God wants us to do. Confess and forsake. He already knows it anyway. Confession is just one of those things in Scripture that blows my mind. If he already knows it anyway, what's the point of me confessing it? The point of me confessing it is admitting, hey, you know I'm wrong. I'm telling you I'm wrong. This is what put Jesus on the cross. Will you forgive me? That's the point of my confession. That clears my conscience before holy God. And if somebody else comes to you and says, hey, man, I heard about what you did. Lady, I heard about what you did. Hey, Jesus already knows it. I've already confessed it. There's nothing you can say to me to punish me because Jesus took my punishment for me. He knows everything about us. Number two, Jesus wants to replace our guilt with his grace. He wants to replace our guilt with his grace. What is grace? It's that precious, unmerited favor of God. You can't do anything to earn it. It's just a free gift. All you do is receive it. Has there ever been a time when somebody beat you out for promotion and you know they didn't deserve it? Has there ever been a time you were on the ball team and somebody beat you out for a spot and you know they didn't deserve it? I mean, I was a senior in high school. I've been playing my trombone for four years in high school and since middle school, and it came time for section leader. And some girl younger than me beat me out. I knew I deserved to get that. I was the senior. I'd been there longer. Has that ever happened to you? If you're a parent, if you're a parent and your kids play sports, <laughs> you know there are other kids got the spot that dadgum, your child deserved that, right? My dad said something when he was alive to my sister, Michelle. Sean and Kelly know her. She's Michelle something. You want her on your corner. You want her on your side. You don't want my sister against you. My daddy said, Michelle, I've noticed every time there's a call against Jim, that's my nephew, my dad's grandson, 
the umps are always terrible. When they win and nothing is said, you got great umpires. My daddy saw the, we, we want to stand up for our kids and we know somebody who doesn't deserve anything. There are people, as I said, who got up and y'all left college, left early to come here early this morning to put out chairs. Some of you have been doing that since the minute this church started. You've been coming early. You've been staying late. You've been working. You came out here at the egg hunt. You put out eggs. You did all of that. You were out there at the block party making cotton candy. Miss Raylene had cotton. Were you doing cotton candy, weren't you? All over you out there sweating. Blake and Janae making popcorn. People have worked hard. But what if... I reached in my pocket. Now, this is hypothetical, of course, because I'm a preacher and I work for Nabisco. What if I had a real million-dollar bill? It's not real. We give these out on foreign mission trips. On the back, real tiny is the plan of salvation. But kids go crazy in Brazil and Nicaragua. Have to go, if also, if also, it's not real. It's just pretend. But what if this was real? And I walked over to this sweet couple. Y'all are here today for the very first time. We're so glad y'all are here. We're honored to have y'all here. If what if I gave them the million dollars? They just came for the first time. They brought their beautiful family with them. And you're going, why'd he give them a million? They're here for the first time. I've been working. I've been sweating. I've been toting in the stage in the rain. That's grace. That's grace. God gives us what we didn't have to work to deserve it. What I deserve is hell. I deserve to be in hell today. But it's that precious, unmerited favor of God. That woman was caught in the very act of adultery. She was guilty. There was no way around it. She was guilty. But God showed her, Jesus showed her grace. She didn't deserve it. Neither did I. When he reached down his nail-scarred hand as a 15-year-old young man, and he saved my sorry, worthless behind, knowing that the most sins in my life, the most gross sins in my life would happen even after he saved me, and he did it anyway. No wonder we sing and we call that grace amazing. It is amazing what God has done. Romans 6, 14 says, Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Listen, God doesn't minimize our sin. I'm not trying to say my sin and your sin is not a big deal. How big of a deal was it? It put Jesus on the cross. But he doesn't want me to focus on that and waller in that and beat myself up. Listen, he wants to forgive you. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Christian, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us of all, A-L-L, unrighteousness. And I tell people, it doesn't mean you might still not go to jail. There's an earthly penalty. Doesn't mean your wife or husband may still leave you anyway because of your sin. But Jesus forgives and Jesus heals. Jesus, number three, wants to replace our shame with his salvation. Jesus wants to replace our shame with his salvation. I've already said, I got stuff in my past I am not proud of. I got stuff in my past. Listen, if I got word from Pastor Matt, y'all were going to show a video of all my sins, I'd probably, you know, either really have a heart attack or fake a heart attack. I'd find a reason not to be in church today because I don't want to face all that junk. I think of all the times that as bad as I hated alcohol, I'd seen what it did to my family and the junk that I would do on the weekends and didn't want to shame my family and uh, the nights I spent in my car so I wouldn't get found on our papa's farm. I'd just go park my car out at the lime sinker. I don't know if Sean remembers the lime sinker. I thought nobody will find me out here because I didn't want to hurt my mom and shame my family by what I was doing. You say, why are you talking about it now? I talk about it now to let you know Jesus forgives and heals. If he can do that for a nobody like me, reach down his nail-scarred hand for somebody like me and still allow me to preach his word, look at what God can do in your life.
You know, a couple of years ago, I sat in a meeting. I got Pastor Matt to confirm for about four hours. And I heard all of these accusations against. I was called everything but a child of God in that meeting. Any other man with one eye and a half sense would have got up and punched somebody and walked out. But I sat there, and I listened. I had people pray, and I saw it coming. I anticipated what was about to happen. So I had people praying, and I just sat there. I didn't bow up. I didn't get mad. It hurt my feelings. The things that were being said about me might not have been true, but I got a whole list of other things that are true. So who am I to, if somebody wants to talk about what a bad guy, you have no idea. You think I'm a jerk? You have, I can prove it to you. I can bring you eyewitnesses to tell you that I am not deserving. I'm a recipient of the precious, unmerited favor of God. The best example I can think of to, to share this with you is the example of adoption. Imagine there was a young lady, a college student down at Georgia Southern University, and she got pregnant out of wedlock. She was terrified. She knew her daddy would put her out of the house for being pregnant out of wedlock, and she couldn't tell her parents, and she hid it from them, and she did the bravest thing I think a young lady in that situation could do, the bravest, most honorable thing she could do. She put that baby up for adoption. There was a couple in middle Georgia crying out to God, begging God for a child. They couldn't have a child. They were begging God for a child to adopt, and God moves on that young lady's heart to put that baby up for adoption. God answers the prayers of that godly couple in one of Robins. They raised that little boy to love Jesus. He gave his life to Jesus at an early age. I had him preach for me when I was at Riverbend Church. He preached. Two young ladies gave their life to Jesus. His name is Jacob Giles. He serves on staff at Marcus Point Baptist Church in Pensacola, Florida to this day. Did Jacob deserve to be adopted by that family? I mean, like, he's a baby, okay? He couldn't do anything to earn that. It's just a beautiful picture of God's grace. Sandra and Jimmy Giles chose to take in that baby. That was not biologically theirs, but he is theirs because they adopted him. They raised that boy to love Jesus, the most loving thing you could do. And he's adopted into the family of God. It's a long story. I don't want to get into it, but God, God used me to share the news with him that he was adopted. Everybody thought that he knew that. Uh, he's 18 years old and didn't know he was adopted. And his mama said, she's so glad that I told him. I wasn't glad I told him. I thought the boy, I thought the young man knew. But I knew when he found out, the first thing he would do is he found that young lady and he shared Jesus with that little mama who gave him the gift of life didn't snuff out his life so that Jimmy and Sandra Giles could raise a young man in church who could be impacting college students. He's a college pastor at that church in Pensacola, Florida. He's spoken all over the state of Georgia in different churches. When I was, a, I was, I was an evangelist, somebody invited me and I was booked, I'd give him his name. All because that precious unmerited favor they took him in. Just another, no extra charge here. When the dude got married, went to his wedding in South Georgia, not only did he dance with Sandra, his mama, he danced with his biological mother who was there. Jacob always wanted a little brother and little sister. They were there. They were in the wedding as attendants. They looked like many Jacobs. He didn't have any idea. That's a picture. God adopted me. A nobody from nowhere. I didn't have to do anything to deserve it. Because listen, if I had to do something to deserve it, you're looking at a guy that would mess it up. I'd do something to lose it. But it's a gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 1, 5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Don't you want to give God pleasure? 
receive that gift. Be adopted into his family, and it will give God great pleasure. He took my sin. He took my shame, my shame up until the point that I was 15, the shame that I would encounter in my life after 15 when I would sin, and he nailed those sins to the cross, and he remembers them no more. Romans 5, 9 says, since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Jesus Christ, I mean, salvation is free to us, but it ain't cheap. It costs God the blood of his only begotten son. He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we'll certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship. We can rejoice rejoice in our adoption with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. We were enemies of God for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that sin causes a schism. That sin causes a separation. And there's a great divide between sinful Mike and holy God. And there's no way that I could get across that great divide. But Jesus when he laid on that cross for my sins. It took the cross of Jesus to bridge the great divide between sinful Mike and holy God. And all I had to do is receive that gift of adoption and to be adopted into his family. He says in Romans 10, 9, if you openly declare Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart. See, I don't really remember a time in my life that I didn't declare openly Jesus as Lord. I had godly grandparents who made sure I knew about the Lord and they read Bible stories to me, so I said it with my mouth. But not until I was 15, believe in your heart. When you believe it in your heart, it makes a difference in your life. You can believe a lot of facts right here in your head, but believe it in your heart, that's a, that's a relational thing. You allow him to transform your life and give you that new identity. First, by believing in your heart, verse 10 says you're made right with God. It is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. But... If you deny me before people, I'll deny you before my Father who's in heaven. Verse 13 says, For the richest and the most religious people who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Nope, that's not what it says. The most smart people who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'd be left out. The best looking people, Lord knows I'd be left out. No, he says, everyone, totus las personas, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When we confess our sin, we realize we deserve to be in hell, but I accept the gift that Jesus paid on that cross that bridged the great divide between me and him, and I believe that I'm already says, you will be saved. Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, culturally, you know, God, all sin is what put Jesus on the cross, Right? I mean, if I've got unconfessed sin in my heart, if I got anger towards somebody, you know, if I've just wish I wish I could just knock their teeth down their throat, that's sin. Even if I didn't do it, I've already thought about it, right? God knew all of that, but in our society, we tend to kind of like rank sins, right? Well, I got mad, I lost my cool, but at least I ain't running around on my wife. Or I did this, but at least I ain't getting drunk. We put them in different categories. All sin put Jesus on the cross, right? Now, there's greater consequences to some of our sin than others. I want you to know, that woman was caught in the very act of adultery. There's no sin so dark. There's no sin so nasty. There's no sin so shameful that Jesus is not willing to write your name and say, hey, lady, I love you so much, I'm about to go to a cross and die for you. Maybe that's what he wrote in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote in the dirt. But he proved it when he hung on a cross for our sins. There's no, people say, well, preacher, I know God can forgive people, but you don't know what I've done. As you got a very high opinion of yourself. you got an opinion of yourself higher than that of Almighty God. Jesus wants to replace your shame with salvation. The woman 
and her accusers. She needed forgiveness. Her accusers needed forgiveness. She needed restoration. Her accusers needed restoration. She needed to have hope. Those accusers, they were trying to keep 634 man-made legalistic laws to please holy God. They needed to receive the gift of salvation. Jesus offered all those things to the woman caught in adultery as well as her ungodly accusers. And then number four, Jesus wants to replace our sinful behavior. Jesus wants to replace our sinful behavior with a new identity. You know, can you imagine? It says there was a crowd of folks there. A lot of people knew about this. A lot of people knew about it. Now, in worldly society, people say, oh, that's that woman they drugged before Jesus. That's that woman. She thought her husband wasn't going to ever know, but she was caught in the very act of it. That's who she is. That's not who she is. He gave her a new, that's the woman that Jesus forgave. That's the woman that should have been stoned, but Jesus gave her a new identity. Jesus is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. When he adopts you into his family, ladies, that makes you a princess. When he adopts you into his family, gentlemen, that makes you a prince. That lady is a princess for King Jesus. She don't live under that old identity, and you don't have to live under your old identity anymore. He accepted that woman without approving of her sin. Romans 8, 1, Pastor Matt quoted it earlier. It's kind of a, one of the main theme verses of our church since day one. There is therefore, Romans 1 through 6 builds a big case of sin and how awful our sin is. Then he offers the hope of the cross and says, there's therefore now no condemnation. Jesus said, where are your accusers? They don't condemn you, neither do I. Go and sin no more. He didn't say, hey, it's not a big deal. No, he said, go and sin no more. He affirmed the fact that what she did was sinful, don't do that anymore. He didn't beat her up. He didn't make her wear a scarlet letter. He said, go and sin no more. He loves us too much to let us keep living the way we're living. If we're living in a way that puts schism and separation between us and holy God. I don't serve God out of fear. I don't serve God out of guilt. I don't serve God out of anxiety. I serve him out of a grateful heart because I know what a sinner I am. And I should have been in hell a long time ago. But the fact that I woke up this morning, I got myself dressed. I showered myself. I got in my car. I drove my myself here. Nobody had to do that for me. All of those things are just pictures of God's amazing grace. So I want to honor him. I want to honor him by living for him. How do you do that? You better get in this book every single day. You better read the word of God every single day. I commend you for being here in a church plant that doesn't have all the bells and whistles and we don't have Sunday school. We don't have a big praise band. I pray we will one day. We don't have a big choir. We don't have all those things. But you came here anyway. That's so good. I'm so thankful but I want you to go deeper than that. I want you to read the Word of God every single day. Make it a commitment. The most important appointment that you're going to have any day of your life is in the Word of God. Now, y'all know I'm asthmatic, so one of my biggest fears in life is not being able to breathe. My wife and her family, when she was growing up, they used to go scuba diving. I ain't doing that, okay? I just got too many fears about not being able to breathe. I freak out. We took our kids on a cruise. My dad gave us money for Christmas one year. We took our kids on a cruise and tried to snorkel, and they, the kids laughed at me. I, I, just, I just couldn't overcome that fear of not being able to breathe. So I missed out on a lot of what they missed out on. Fast forward several years later, my wife and I were gifted a trip to the British Virgin Islands, and we were with five other couples on a sailboat. We sailed from island to island, and they were going snorkeling. And I thought, all right, there's a ship called the Rome that sunk out there. And I wanted to be able to see that. So finally, it took me a while, but I overcame my fears, put on the snorkel, and I could see down there the beauty of that. 
So coming to church and hearing testimonies like Pastor Matt's and singing God's praises, you're kind of getting a, a picture of how beautiful God is. You're getting a taste of it. We're snorkeling. But if you want to put on that scuba gear and you want to go down deep and really see the plant life and the sea life down where that ship is, we got to go beyond snorkeling. we got to go beyond snorkeling scripturally and take it beyond just coming to church and study the Word of God. B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Because when I get to heaven, I don't need the Bible. The Word of God made flesh. Jesus will be there. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Get in the Word of God every day and go beyond snorkeling and scuba dive into the depths of God. God's amazing love and his amazing forgiveness. 2 Corinthians 5.17, a theme verse for Transformation Church. If any man is in Christ, you've been forgiven. You didn't get stoned. The rocks are dropped. Jesus stretched out his arms and said, I love you this much when he died on the old rugged cross. For God so loved the world. You're in the world. You're part of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him, We don't have to die and go to hell, but we can have everlasting, eternal life. When Jesus transforms your life, he will give you a new identity. Those sins that used to define you, they don't have to define you anymore. He wants to give you a new identity. So let's land this airplane. Number one, you realize God sees and knows every detail of your life. Many times we live in fear of mama finding out or teacher finding out. Hey, Jesus knows everything anyway. Ain't nothing I'm going to hide from him. He knows every detail. Number two, Are you guilty of throwing rocks at other people? I have been. I confess that I have been. You know, I'm a recovering legalist. I used to be pretty legalistic, and I love the verse. I always forget the address in Ephesians where he goes over this long list of sins, and then he says, or is it Corinthians? He says, hey, such were some of you. So when I'm wanting to throw rocks at other people, the Holy Spirit says, hey, Mike, such were you. You used to sin also. Now, we love people enough to tell them the truth. We don't let them run over a cliff without warning them, hey, the sin you're involved in, that can wreck and ruin your life. I'm not judging you. I'm not condemning you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The most loving thing you can do is tell them the truth and rescue them. Number three, is your life living proof of the new identity Jesus gives? Is your life living proof of the new identity Jesus gives? I spent most of my life in and out, sometimes going to church, sometimes not. Certainly Easter, we were in church. My granny would take me to church sometime, you know, in and out. But I started to see kids in my high school that were so radically different than me. After my parents' divorce, after I'd been through some of the stuff I'd been through, I thought, whatever those kids have, that's what I want. They were living proof. They weren't just preaching at me. In fact, they never preached to me. They didn't give me a Bible. Oh, that would have been all right. They didn't give me a track with the gospel on it. By the way, we've got those little answer invite tracks with us today. I think they'll be on the table when you leave with our invite in the front, plan of salvation on the back. Do those come in? Nope, those are not, uh, they're on their way. Anyway, so you, when you invite somebody to church, everybody you invite, the, the plan of salvation will be right there on the back of that card. You don't even have to memorize it. It's good if you memorize it, but if you don't, if you can read, you can tell somebody how to be saved. Your life ought to be living proof. Those kids' lives were living proof that whatever they had, that's what I wanted. And number four, who can you introduce to Jesus this week? Listen, don't come dragging somebody to Jesus like this woman. She needed to meet Jesus, all right. But that wasn't the way to get her to Jesus. They should have lovingly said, hey, I'm so sorry that whatever happened in your life made you feel like you got to live like this. If you got a husband that abuses you, you got a daddy that didn't show you love, I don't know what happened or or this man forced you in. I don't know what happened to get you here, but there's a better life than this. You don't have to live this way anymore. Let me tell you about a man named Jesus who transformed my life, gave me a new identity, 
and he can give you a new identity as well. Lord Jesus, thank you for the transforming power of your word. The power is not in songs. The song's not in pretty stories or cool illustrations. The power is in the Word of God. So we stand on that authority today. Lord Jesus, that Word that transformed my life, that Word that gave Mike a new identity, I pray that today in this place, later on as people listen on the World Wide Web, God continue to give out new identities. I pray that people will see just how simple it is. You said the gospel is so simple even a child could understand that. Lord, help somebody today to admit to you what you already know. We're messed up folks. We're sinners. Help folks to confess with their mouth that you really did die on that Oregon cross for our sins. You really did resurrect yourself on that first Easter morning. I pray that people would give their life to you today. Lord, for those of us who've been Pharisees, who've been judgmental, who've thrown rocks at other people and thought bad of them, Lord, remind us that such were some of us. And the best thing I can do is show somebody love and grace the way Jesus showed me his love and grace. Lord, as that grace is extended even today, I pray that people would receive that and honor you by living a life that proves to people you still give new identities. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Amen.